Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award winning book, Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, it is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform the revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. Today's guest is Morgan Ingram. I've met him many, many years ago, I think through LinkedIn and some events, and have really followed the work that he does helping BDRs, helping SERs, and really getting into the community of these frontline sellers and helping them just think differently, uh, giving them tips and tricks, and really helping them be strategic to I would say, be more effective as sellers, but also, I think, elevate their career. So a couple of things about him before I kind of give him the mic and let him tell about his story, his journey, and what he's up to. He's a former director of sales execution and evolution at JB Sales. He also is a four-time, that's four-time LinkedIn top sales voice, so very recognized and respected for uh, the work that he does. And then last but not least is co-founder of Sales for the Culture. So I, I've seen over the years his commitment to helping sellers get better, do it better, learn and, and expand. So uh, I wanted to bring him on the show and really help us as leaders, as revenue leaders, really get into the heads of what sellers are going through, what they need, especially right now, uh, as we need to change things up in B2B. So with all of that said, Morgan, why don't you tell folks a little bit about you, your background and what you're up to? Yeah, well, you messed up one thing there. You what forgot, did I do? You forgot the J. What did I say? You said Morgan Ingram. But it's all good. Oh, do you it's go a, by Morgan J. You got to add now? the J. Yeah, you got to oh, add the J. No, I it's forgot. all good. It's all good. I forgot, we're you, go were, into it. I forgot <laughs> you were very special now. <laughs> you got it. Okay, uh, so here's no. Here's the reason why. So, no. so we'll just start the interview over. It's like, hey, everybody. No, we don't have, we don't, no, we don't have <laughs> to. Joking. No, no, no. But the thing is, like, here's why this is important. Because some everyone's okay. like, why are you so stingy about this? Like, like, there's a reason. So if you type in Morgan Ingram. Yes. There was a situation where another Morgan Ingram, the parents are like on Dr. Phil and this person, this girl had committed suicide. So the first 10 pages of Morgan Ingram are all about Dr. Phil and suicide. So when I first started creating my brand, I was like, well, there's no way in the world anyone's going to find me because of this search. So I decided to add the J so that people could find me easier. That's the reason why I have the J. So So it's really important. It is very important. So so let's stop the podcast for two seconds, everybody. I apologize. It is Morgan J. Ingram, so that we're all clear. I'm actually glad you gave me context to that because I, I actually did not know that because I, you know, I just call you Morgan Ingram. Yeah, no, there is a reason why I added the J. It was not like, oh, random, like that's why. And I've just kept it because I'm like, okay, let's just yeah, continue. It's actually with it. smart because you'll get buried oh, SEO. Like, yeah. No one will find well, you. Well, now over the years, it's I've actually been able to get on the top now. So because of the J, yeah. Well, the J, and then then putting Morgan Ingram, it actually is in the search uh, first page now. So just okay. over time, over the content. But now, but now everyone's like, okay, what, what do you do? So let's let, let's dive into like uh, <laughs> background. So I started yes. off as a SDR, sales development rep. For context, that's someone who does cold calls, emails, social prospecting, and their only occupation and job is to schedule meetings. So extremely fun. <laughs> but no, it, it, you actually learn a lot. It's very it is very hard. And so I cold called to get my job. I always believe that if you're going to get a sales job, you might as well do a sales skill to get it. Uh, I tell people don't make this too complicated. It's not that difficult to get a sales job if you showcase your skills and email or cold call the leader. But let's move forward and I was really bad the first three months of the role, and I had to really learn how to evolve and get better. And through that, I learned a lot. And the biggest piece that I give to learning a ton was when I started doing my YouTube channel called the SDR Chronicles. And so mm-hmm. in short, that was me describing and articulating my journey as an SDR and sharing that with the LinkedIn audience. And this was back in 2016. So if y'all are on LinkedIn at 2016, there was barely any content. There was only resumes, job opportunities, and LinkedIn Pulse. So I started putting out videos and people were like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> they didn't even know that was even a possibility. So it was at the time where like links didn't even get flagged that much because like no one knew what there was like nothing yeah, against it. I actually remember that. Yeah. yeah. So I ran it for about a year and a half, two years. And then as Jeff talked about, I joined John Barrows to be a full-time trainer. Uh, companies that I trained, you all probably have heard of. Salesforce, Snowflake, Zoom, Slack, to name a few. And after that journey of doing it for about three and a half years, 
I decided to go off on my own and now go into two different lanes, which is helping in the B2B influencer space and really helping in video marketing and also still doing sales workshops, but in a unique way. And so that's my journy and excited to talk today. Love it. Yeah. And again, you've done a lot of work to lead up to this point. And so that's why I think you have a really validated and interesting and informed POV. So I think my first question is just for revenue leaders that are listening, what are some of the top challenges that BDRs are having that they may or may not articulate to senior leadership? Because I think there's always sometimes a disconnect between what's really happening in the streets and then what leadership (laughs) looks at a macro level. The prospecting streets are rough, man. (laughs) Yeah, and it's going to get a little rougher. I would say number one is something that people don't think about, and it's happening right now. And this is what you should not be doing, which is giving your team the right technology. So they're struggling because they don't have the right tech. So are you providing them with the right AI tech, the right data, the things that they need to do their job at scale, the active selling time for a rep, I believe is like, I don't know, it's like 40% or something like that. Extremely low, right? That's basically failing. So the thing is you need to be giving your reps the tools so they're not overwhelmed and can't execute on what you want them to do. So that is like, first and foremost, what people need to be very mindful of is, are you providing your SDRs with the right technology? And if you're not, that's probably why they're struggling. If you're just expecting them to like get it done without any technology, there's just too much going on right now to like not do that. And if you have the right tech stack, that 40% could go up to 80% appropriately. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's like, that's like number one. Number two, it's getting harder to get people to respond via outbound. That's just like an overall challenge. So what you need to be doing here is getting better coaching for your managers so they can figure out what's going on and making sure that they can evolve, getting better coaching for the reps to get better at their time management. That's another thing as well. And that will help them slowly but surely, right? Get better at those response rates. And then at some point, right, you're just getting higher response rates. The third challenge, and I think this is probably the biggest one overall, is like, this is probably a hot take. I think setting KPIs for your reps. And what I mean by that is okay. things that they you're, rec- you're telling them they have to do. So the biggest challenge for a rep is telling them, hey, you got to go make 80 calls today. What's going to happen is that they may not have enough to make those calls. Not saying that, you know, that's an excuse, but they may not. They may be overwhelmed with that activity and might not get there, or they're getting tracked on this. So they're actually, you're forcing behavior that you don't want. So they're going to go make 80 calls and put this in air quote, but really they're only making 20, but they make fake 60 calls. So you just wasted their time, right? You need to tell them and guide them on what they should do as guidelines. Hey, this is recommended for you to hit your number. We're not saying you need to do it because there's people who write five emails a day and probably hit more numbers than the person that's calling 100 cold calls, right? I would much rather have that person doing five calls. And so the challenge for SDRs and BDRs is you're getting rained down by these daily metrics you have to hit. And people are not even tracking that appropriately. It leads to forcing functioning behavior that's bad. And now you have a lot of obstacles. So I think those are the main three. Yeah, I like those. So to just recap, making sure that reps have the right tech, appropriate coaching for managers, and Mm -hmm. then also realistic KPIs goals. I think all of those things are applicable, whether or not you're in the BDR, SDR function, or if we expand out to other uh, industries that don't have the BDR function per se. I think any frontline sales reps, these these sound to me like real challenges they're going through. So I wanted to kind of double click on a couple of these. So you talked about tech, and I 100% agree of if in today's age, you don't have the right technology. You just, you literally are just so in the dark as far as just like basic communication. The flip side of that, I want your opinion on is when the sales leader or marketing leader or whoever gets a bunch of shiny new objects and throws everything at the rep. And the reason I'm I'm saying that is that there's some cases where it's the opposite issue where they get this eight new pieces of software <laughs> yep. and the reps like, I don't know how to use these. None of these are in my workflow. Like, have you also seen that be an issue? That's a great point. And yes, I have seen that to be an issue. So that definitely is one B to my first point. And okay. so what you need to do there is you need to go to each person on your team. Okay. Let's just say you, you have a lot of tech, right? You made a mistake. You bought way too much tech. right? <laughs> and so you need to have a meeting with your team and literally go item tool by tool yeah. and say, hey, everyone, you can get on a Zoom call. I don't really care what you do. 
Hey, everybody. Could you like raise your hand if you use this tool? Crickets. Why the heck are we spending money on this tool if no one's using it? There's yeah. not, no, not a lot of companies do that. You're like, are we using this? Oh, we're not. Okay, maybe we should get rid of it. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's like a thing that people need to be more mindful on. Like, are we actually using this tool? Oh, we're not. Okay, that's interesting, right? We probably at the end of the day need to make sure that we are actively using the tools we want mm -hmm. to be using. And also as well, each tool should address a gap and make your reps more proficient, not bog them down or make them feel overwhelmed. So every time you buy a technology, you actually should be having the reps test it out. You should ask them, is this speeding up the process? If it's not, you shouldn't be buying the tool just because, oh, this was a cool tool. I have a lot of tools in my tech stack, but every single tool allows me to operate faster. If it's a bottleneck, I get rid of it. Yeah. And I think your approach is a smart one in that, first of all, we and I advocate for this, you know, when I talk about like sales and marketing and when they're really starting to look at their revenue tech stack versus sales and marketing uh, tech stack that they need to audit. And so I think you're completely right of sitting down and saying, and I don't know, this could be a quarterly basis, could be annual basis, whatever that looks like, whatever's right for your organization. But I think a lot of organizations, especially as you have leaders transition, so they're there for two years, whenever they transition, no one does an audit of what we have in our tech stack. Mm. And so what you do get is somebody has a special project, they want to XYZ and they add something on top of that without doing the due diligence to say like, what do we already have? Yeah, Is this truly a gap? And then assessing what are the things we can get rid of instead of just adding on top exactly. of what we already have. Exactly. Uh, and then the other thing I like that you said that I, I don't hear enough about is piloting the tech maybe with a smaller group of reps yep. to see I think two things. Is it accomplishing what we wanted it to accomplish, mm -hmm. right? Like, is it filling that gap, as you said? But the other one is like, how does it fit into the workflow of the rep? Because right. that is what I hear of like, I'm going through four different multiple systems just to enter a call. Or I do, I use this and then I have to transfer that information to this one. And mm -hmm. like, and so to your point about like trying to be productive and get all these calls in. And I remember this actually way back in the day when I was a rep, it's like, I can't even get to my calls because all the administrative work that I have to do between them or I have to do it at the end of the day or like whatever that is yeah. where I could actually be selling. So exactly. uh, it becomes burdensome. It does. Yeah. And then you're like, you don't want to use the tech and then you're not learning the tech only. And also for each product that you've ever bought, tech includes, but you ever bought, you're only using about probably 10 to 20% of it, right? Yeah. Like my Mac right now, I'm probably not using it to its full capability like my phone i just i don't know if you knew this i just found out the other day you can actually make your phone grayscale and you can see no colors no i didn't know that i didn't know that either i was watching a video and it was like if you want to be more productive and want less dopamine hits turn your screen to gray so my screen right now is gray and i change it when i do videos but now i have less dopamine hits i'm more focused but i had no clue you know I'm stealing that, right? Like I'm, Goog oh, I'm googling that it. as soon as I get off this send, podcast. I have a, I'll text it. I'll text it to you because I have the okay. I have the video because a couple of my friends want to do it too. It, I've yeah. been doing it for the past like 14 days. Game changer. Like more focus. I don't want to look at my phone as much. I'll like scroll once and be like, "Why am I doing this?" It's it's, it's it changes everything. Because if you think I about really it, the like colors, that. right? When you're scrolling, they pop out at you, makes you more engaged. But when it's uh, gray, yeah. you're just like, "This is dumb." <laughs> it's just, all the same stuff. Yeah, you move on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like that. So I want to zoom out because, you know, a lot of the work that I do is around sales and marketing. What have you seen work really well when marketing supports enables SDRs? Like, what have you seen? Like, oh, I'm so glad they do that. Or, or just even uh, the clients that you're working with, what is, what is working well? Because I, I have seen that marketing has the intent of trying to help sales, Yep. but I don't know that they always know how to do that. Absolutely. And I think that's, it's funny because it's always the marketing sales. We hate each other. Da, da, da. I mean, at the end of the day, like the reason for that, from at least my own analysis, and you probably can speak to this better than I can, is that it's just everyone's outcomes are different, right? If marketing's yeah. outcomes are lead focused and sales trying to close things, right? You just have different outcomes, which leads to that discrepancy, right? Expectations and communication are important. So if you could communicate and understand what both parties need, Marketing versus sales shouldn't even be a it shouldn't even be a, a fight. It should actually be like the most aligned across the board. So these are three things that I've seen to be the most successful there. I'll speak from previous experience, like when I've worked with people like at a company, and then also I'll talk about like, you know, what, what I'm doing with clients. So the first okay. one is like what I did when I was an SDR at Terminus. And I worked with the marketing team 
across the board. And also as well in that beginning story that I talked about, I always wanted to be in marketing. So like even when I do today, like it's not like shocking to me that I got to this point because I always yeah. wanted to be in marketing. I just got rejected 20 times for an entry-level <laughs> marketing role because they wanted 8,000 years of experience. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go just figure it out and prove it another way. This is very much a thing. Yeah. I, I actually had the same <laughs> challenge. And I let me tell you something. I went and got a whole MBA in marketing. Wow. And it was still challenging to get people to take me serious as a marketer. It's crazy. So it, it was not just you. It took me a minute and a lot of like knocking on doors. I'm just like, I got the paperwork. Yeah. Like, I'm a marketer. They're like, nah, but you're not. Go yeah. back to sales. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think it's getting, it's, it's getting better, but yeah, it's still a thing. Yeah. So within that, I wanted to go sell to marketers and I worked with the marketing team because I wanted to learn more. And right. one of the things that I was bringing to them, I was saying, hey, we get objections on a day-to-day basis. So we're going to send our objections to the marketing team to create content. Wow. <laughs> they were like, oh yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what we should do. So we saw based on those campaigns, more click-through rate, more impressions, more downloads, because that was what people wanted. And it was good for us as the SDRs and the sellers, because we were getting hit with these objections all day long. We could send that as a follow-up. We say, hey, that's a really good question. We actually just wrote a blog post from our customers and some peers on how that works within our ecosystem. Do you want to see that and book a demo? Absolutely, right? So we had something of, I hate this word, but this is the right word for it, value, right? Not random value, contextual value to the buyer. And they were like, this makes a whole lot of sense. So for everyone listening in, like if you're like on the marketing team and you're like, I don't know how to talk to the sales team, I would be like, you would be the hero. All right, you want to be the hero today? Go and say, hey, I know you all get a lot of sales objections. I know sales is super tough. What can we do better as a marketing team to help write blog posts, articles, videos to talk to these objections? I guarantee you people are going to be excited. And you hit on something that I talk about all the time is that marketers un- most underutilize yeah. the sales team as market research. It's free market research. Yeah. And you know we pay, and it depends on the industry, right? we pay a lot of money for market research. We pay a lot of money for consultants to understand the marketplace. But you have a whole force, a whole team that literally is talking to your customers every single day. Mm-hmm. And they are hearing the latest and the greatest of like what they're challenging with, why they don't want to buy from you. So if you are a, a marketing leader and you're not a sales leader too, and you the guys aren't talking about what you're hearing on the phones or what you're hearing out in the field. And then, like you said, kind of pulling it all together, say like, here are the themes that we continue to hear, let's create, and not just stopping there and saying like, what do we do? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, then let's create resources around this to, to amplify and support the sales reps. Because to your point, if you're in a conversation, maybe LinkedIn or whatever, and somebody says, oh, you know, you guys are too expensive or, or you're not a fit for us. There's one thing to respond to that, but there's another thing to respond to that and then show that there's a blog post exactly. or that there's a video. Because you don't know how people are going to respond to the way in which you share the information. and it's easier for somebody to say like, oh, Jeff gave me this video that talks exactly to why they're more expensive because of quality. Let me share it with the rest of the buying group Yep, because it's shareable, exactly. it's bite-sized, whatever it is. And so it's just a lot easier to consume. Exactly. So uh, I think that's super smart. And, sa- and saving a lot of resources, like you said. You don't have yeah. to the labor costs all over the place. Do you feel that most BDRs have clarity on what marketing does? No, not at all. Which leads to point number two. So, not planned, by the way, y'all. Like that wasn't planned. <laughs> it so, was actually not planned. Um, they don't at all, and that's the problem: is that most people are not communicating. It, this is a side note. This is interesting. I ran this exercise, and it'll lead into like what I'm about to talk about. Most BDRs also don't know how busy executives are. They just think everyone's just hanging out. So one thing that we did in onboarding, which I don't know why no one does this, by the way, we would bring in the executives. So we were at the time a smaller company. So obviously this wouldn't work at like the massive companies, but you could still do it in a certain capacity. We had the CEO, the CMO, and the CTO. And we would bring people in and we would say, hey, can you show everyone your calendar? Packed, right? Meetings, 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 barely any time, right? Every single calendar looked at that. So all the SDRs were like, whoa, like, yeah, we got to... We got to stand out. We can't just send generic stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. The reason no one's responding is because they don't have time to respond to you. And if they do respond to you, they don't have time to meet with something that's irrelevant. 
So that's why you have to make sure that like you are relevant and you are personal in some way. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But to add to the point, what we ended up doing and this is like the company, and then we'll go into the client example. But when I was mm-hmm. when I was an SDR there, and when I was a manager at this point, we would actually go through and talk about what were and it, it kind of is like marketing giving you the assets. Now we were going through and seeing what was like the most attended webinars, and we were going through what was the most like click through blogs that had nothing to do with the objection handling. So the reason okay. we were doing that is like, okay, these are talk tracks that we should be developing because if everyone is showing up to this webinar, that means we need to be talking about this in our value prop or our narrative or something is something clicked here for this audience. We don't know yeah. why, but it clicked. So we would talk to marketing and we would actually have SCRs actually go in meetings with marketing. We'd have like a monthly sync and say, hey, these are the campaigns we're working on. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we're going about it. Because no one really knew what air cover they were getting. That's like, think about it. It's like, have we played Call of Duty before? No. Okay. Uh, you know what an air? Do you know what an airstrike is? <laughs> I do know what that is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's like you being in the army, right? And you're like, okay, we have, we're going to Point Mount Kilimanjaro. I don't know, and we're right, and we, yeah. there's a, there, you need to go there, right? So you go to Mount Kilimanjaro, and then air cover, air the air raid comes out of nowhere, and it's your people. And you're like, yo, what? He was like, yo, what? like we're here, yo, wait, we're here. Wait, like, wait, dude, like, what, what's going on? Like, I didn't call in for the air raid. Like, we're here. The enemy's not here yet. That's what's happening yeah. with BDRs in marketing. So you got this air cover, right? All these articles going out and stuff like that. And yep. it's like, wait, whoa, like, what? Why is someone? Why is someone telling us what's going on? That's like the same thing. You can't do that because then confusion, casualties, losses. That's what's happened to BDRs because they don't know that they have this air cover coming in and they're not speaking to what's actually contextualized for the audience. And it's interesting because you then marketing doesn't realize that when you tell sales ahead of time or however the most appropriate way to communicate it is, you can actually get further reach and engagement because the sales force is reinforcing the content that you're sending out. Right. Like I've always said, like use marketing for what they're good for. And so I don't think you should have, and you can disagree with me if you think so, BDRs and SDRs doing deep research to find articles and find things that they need to be sharing with their, 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 with their prospects or target buyers. I'm not saying they shouldn't do any, but there should be a inventory or something that marketing is giving them saying like, here are the top articles, here are the top blogs, whatever that you can mm-hmm. share and having them in categories. You know, if the objection is this, if they're this stage, you know, company, whatever it is that makes sense for your business. So I can easily go to my catalog and say like, hey, Jeff, you know, I, I noticed that on LinkedIn, you post about the importance of collaboration, whatever. Right. Our tool is great at that for XYZ. Here's a blog that you might be interested in. Let me know if you want to talk, set up a call, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. And so it's, it's thinking about those things of coordination and collaboration because I have seen repeatedly when you get the collaboration between these two groups, right? It exponentially makes each function better than they could be on their own. And so, yeah, the visual you gave me was actually made a lot of sense because in my mind, and again, I have not played Call of Duty. This is just me thinking out loud. (laughs) If I want to get from here to there, ideally, I would say marketing, come on and give me some air cover. Exactly. Clear it up. And then I can go and feel like, you know, I'm safe, I'm protected. We have a clear path to get there. That, in my mind, is the ideal way to work. Exactly. But to your point, we're trying to go from A to B with the sales team and the air cover is coming at the same time. And like, I'm getting, people are getting shot up. They don't know what's coming yeah, at them. So it's just <laughs> they don't show up, mass. Conf- they don't show up at all. It's like, it's like, <laughs> yo, okay, we're going to go to this battle. Here we go. And then it's like, all right, we're here. We got the air strike. They're like, oh, we're Crickets. we're thirty we're thirty minutes away. You're, you're wiped. You're done. <laughs> hang yeah. wait, hang tight. Yeah. We'll be right there. <laughs> what do you mean we're gonna be right there? They're, they're literally on us. We yeah. need help. That's yeah. that's what's I, happening. And Mark, that's I'm stealing you. this. I'm stealing this metaphor. Just for, by take, the way, it's gonna be my next book because it's absolutely it. as perfect. Long, as, long, hey, as long as you can just drop me. Hey, we were on this podcast with Morgan. As long as I get some some recognition, that's all I need. You, you, I will totally give you your call out, and I will make sure it's Morgan J. Exactly, I was gonna say to make sure you get full exactly because you know someone else might get credit, and we don't want that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the third, so the third one is critical. Yeah. This one, this is gonna. I'm gonna go on a rant a little bit, so. Y'all might actually tune out this one, but if you tune out, you, it this is actually the probably the most important thing I'm going to say because I'm sick of seeing this. I don't get it. It makes zero sense. And I have another analogy that you could potentially use here. So okay. you go to a webinar and you have, you know, 500 registrations. You have like 
200 attendees, right? That's like a 40% show rate. That's f- solid, right? Enough. Okay, cool. You know, that's great. We, we, had a, we had a great, that's a, pr- that's a pretty, that's a great show out, right? That's solid. That's, that's good. So now you give it to your BDR or your AE team, full sales cycle, whatever you have to follow up. And the follow-up is, hey, saw you went to the webinar. Do you have 30 minutes to chat? <laughs> Y'all, this is, I'm sorry, this is the most silly email you can send. It makes no sense because for, let's talk about a couple of things. One is they probably didn't show up to the webinar. And also the same thing goes to the ebook. The ebook, I have in more of a rant on it. Hey, saw, saw you download this ebook. What did you get out of it? You probably didn't read an 80 page ebook, right? People barely can read sometimes. So the thing is at the end of the day yeah. is like no one is reading an 80 page ebook and they're not going to tell you, hey, I absolutely love this thing. They're probably not watching the entire webinar. They might have been multitasking and not paying attention. So these emails that I see where it's like, hey, uh, glad you went to the webinar. Uh, let's talk. Or like, hey, saw you down the ebook. What'd you get out of it? This needs to stop. Again, I'm going to tell you what you should do. But I just encourage you just to get rid of this. It doesn't make any sense. Your reply rates are probably abysmal. And your open rates are probably below average. Like across the board. And I'm speaking of this not as in like I'm ranting and just saying that. Like I've trained hundreds and thousands of teams. And every yeah. time that I looked at this cadence, it was always low performing. And I told them, why do you keep doing this? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting results. You're not getting results. Why do you keep telling your teams to do this? So what should you do? Here's my analogy. Now, I know you've okay. seen this. If you haven't seen this, then I'm going to have to leave the podcast. Have you seen <laughs> the top 10 ESPN? I'm just going to say yes now. <laughs> have you seen the, like, the top 10 ESPN? Like top 10 highlights? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I was about to say, come on, man. So the t- I mean, I'm, look, <laughs> openly, I'm not a sports guy and I don't play video games, but I do have some knowledge of what's going on around <laughs> around me and in the world. So yes, I do know what you're talking about. And even if I did know what you're talking about, I was just going to say, say yes. yes so you didn't get off the, the podcast. So, But the answer is yes. Okay, so there's a top 10 highlights, right? Yes. When you watch the top 10 highlights, they're from sports typically you may not know about. The mm-hmm. reason that my brother and I got into watching football for y'all in out there internationally but soccer is because we saw a bicycle kick in like the euro league and we're like whoa that's crazy then we looked up and bought fifa we started playing fifa i ended up being a spain fan david Vila, david silva espionage can go the whole thing and then my brother mm-hmm. ended up being a france fan right villain blada like you know uh bueno all those different people so my whole my whole thing is once we started like doing that it all came from the highlight though. No one came to us and was like, hey, we don't watch this like 90 minute soccer game where they just kick back and forth. Do you want to come check this out? We're like, what? I don't want to do that. But no. when we saw the bicycle kick and we're like, I watch soccer now. Like I'm a fan of Arsenal, like and the whole thing. So my whole point in all this is that why don't we do the same thing when we're following up with webinars and ebooks? Why don't yeah. we give them the highlights? So that they can go actually see the real show. So, for example, if I was following up with the ebook, I'd say, I actually call it out. I say, Hi, Jeff. I know you probably didn't read this ebook. You probably didn't. Hey, I'm calling out. Hey, Jeff, I know you probably didn't read this ebook. However, here are the three main highlights that our peers got from this one, two, three. And then I'm going to pick one of the three highlights and talk about what my solution pertains to that highlight. And then I'll say, mm-hmm. Are you interested in having a chat? That will get you more responses because I've seen it. One, two, I do it myself. Three, that's completely different because you're acknowledging that this person probably didn't check out the webinar and they probably didn't read the ebook. And some of you are probably like, well, Morgan, what if they actually went to the webinar and read the ebook? They're going to just tell you, yeah, I actually read the ebook, but thanks for the highlights. And they're going to agree with you. So you don't really yeah. lose in this scenario. So that's why you want to go with the highlights rather than, oh, uh, did you read this entire ebook that you probably didn't? And like, do you want to meet with me? No, like just stop this. Stop it. You bring up a really good point again in that most, and I'm making a generalization, BDRs, SDRs, or frontline salespeople are more junior in their career, stereotypically. Absolutely. And I think we make this assumption as people that have been in the career for decades that they have the same knowledge about their target audience that we do, which is completely unrealistic. It's not the BDR's fault. No, I'm agreeing with you 200%. It's the leadership's fault because you brought up a good point of, I, you know, I started my career in sales, was in sales for years, transition marketing. I have a clearer understanding of, you know, if I'm targeting CEOs, what their schedule looks like, 
how best to communicate with them just by virtue of obviously market research, no sort of thing, but just the context I've worked with CEOs, I've worked with VPs. I have that kind of, you know, innate knowledge of I probably shouldn't be sending an email 1215 and like, it's very vague. Like I'm not going to get a response. I have to be more strategic about, you know, being very specific about what I say, tailored to what they is important to them, making sure I'm talking in their language and not marketing speak. It's got to be CEO speak, right? But if you have a junior person, they have no idea. They're just doing what you tell them to do, Mm. which may or may not be right. And it's tougher for them to be able to modify that because they probably haven't ever sold to a CEO. They've never sat with a CEO. They've never sat with a CFO. They have no idea, no context of what they do. Yep. And so I think to your point, it is unrealistic to have them come on board, do no onboarding to help them understand who their target audience is and then say like, yeah, go sell and send some random emails. Exactly. It's like, it's crazy. It's wildness. And that's the case. Yeah. So those are all good. I actually really, really like those related to this. And I ask this question to a lot of people, but I want to get your perspective. Who should BDRs report to, sales or marketing? They should report to who's the most competent to lead the team. Tell me what that means. Because I've heard this response before. Yeah. Uh, I actually think uh, Tracy Eiler, who I had on the show, actually agreed with you. And, you know, she's been a CMO mm-hmm. and tech for, for many, many years, but she had a very similar response. So there are sales leaders that don't understand the SDR role, and there are marketers who don't understand the SEO role. Now, the sales leader is a hot take because you're like, wait, they don't understand it? Let me explain. Yeah. So some sales leaders, not all, so don't get into tizzy, everybody listening in. Some <laughs> sales leaders have forgotten what it's like to be a hunter. Or this sales leader grew in a nature where they had a lot of inbounds and never truly had to go outbound. So the skill set of getting demand, they may not necessarily understand that. And then the mm-hmm. culture of managers don't understand how to do outbound only. They lived in a culture of inbound and they did not understand that. Now, again, the majority of sales leaders is why I typically lean, yeah, go report in sales is because they had a full sales cycle background. So they understand the outbound. But there are some sales leaders where they didn't have this background, right? And I'm just speaking from experience, what I've seen. They didn't have the background yeah. of the, how to outbound. They don't know how to cold call. They don't know how to do with these emails. They're lost, right? So if that leader is lost, how are you going to expect them to coach other managers to do outbound appropriately as well, especially in modern times where you have to know every single channel? So yeah. I don't think sometimes it's actually set up for success. I'll give you another example of, as well, because that's a hot take. Some people may be like, whoa, Morgan, are you serious? Like, yeah, I am. But here's another thing that you have to think about. In some organizations, the BDRs don't get promoted until five years, even three sometimes. And the oh, reason, that's a long and, time. Okay. And the reason for that is the sale is too technical for them. All their sellers are enterprise account executives with 15 plus years of experience, and you're not even going to get a chance to even be an SMBAE because it's too complex of a product. I'm just speaking okay. off experience of what people have told me. So people yeah. legitimately have just been SDRs for years. Now, that's not something I would sign up for, but that, three to five years as an SDR is, is a reality for some people, just so y'all know. So what okay. I want this, would you want them to report the sales? Actually, probably not because they don't have a chance to even become an account executive. So they should probably report to marketing to then find a way that they can eventually go into a marketing role or a customer success. And that's just going to have to be the feeder system. You're not going to have SDRs stay for three, five years. Now, some do because they want to become that very experienced enterprise seller and they want to close those massive deals. That's what they want. Yeah. But most people, they don't want that. They want to stay in the role for eight to 12 months move on to the account executive role, get my six-figure base salary, et cetera. But again, these enterprise AEs that are in the technical side, yeah, they're, I mean, they're pulling in seven-figure, high six-figure checks. But you got to be good at what you do. You're not going to get that off of one, two years of being an SDR. So that's what I'm saying on like why you probably wouldn't report to sales because of those yeah. reasons. There's probably more that I'm not identifying that I don't know about. And there's other people who could probably break it down better than me. But that's my perspective. Marketing is pretty straightforward. I think it's when it's, it's too... It's just not focused on what the SCR should be doing. There's no like a tr- like the marketing leader doesn't have sales background. I think that's where it becomes a miss for sure because they're not yep. going to be able to understand how to really s- develop their skills. I've talked to people who they do 
report into marketing, but the, the marketing leader has a sales background. They did sell something. Okay. Right. They get it. They get it. So that's fair. And also marketing has bigger budget than the sales team. So again, like I said earlier, marketing can support their BDR team because they can buy the right technology for them instead of being like, best of luck. Here's a phone book <laughs> and, and, uh, and, yeah. and, and you're not even using like actual sales tools. So that's where I think it's applicable. But again, if they don't have the right leadership and the marketing leader isn't in sales, the marketing team maybe is focused on the wrong metrics that don't incentivize the BDRs. They don't really have a promotion path for them. Problematic. So again, I would say whoever the leader is the most competent is where it goes. Does it have anything to do with the majority of the BDRs activity being either inbound or outbound? Is that another layer? That's a good call. That's well? actually, I didn't even mention that. That's a good call. Yes, it does. Like if it's like, 90% inbound, like, yeah, you probably want to lean more towards marketing. I mean, if you're heavy, okay. heavy outbound, I would definitely probably say you might want to lean more towards sales, right? Not to say that vice versa scenarios don't work, but that's just my experience. And that's what I would say. Okay. You mentioned something I want to go back to a little bit because it sparked I it sparked something in me. It sparked inspiration <laughs> in me. Um, but you talked about the seller needing to understand multiple channels or all channels. And actually with the corollary for me, we talk a lot about on the marketing side, like a T-shaped marketer. So you, you have deep expertise in one of the, the aspects of marketing. It could be social, it could be email, it could be demand gen, whatever it is. But you also have a very high level understanding across all marketing functions so that you can understand the in interconnectedness of how you collaborate with your team and how the work that you do. You know, for instance, like, you know, if I'm the SEO manager, how does that influence, you know, demand gen or how does that influence, you know, whatever, right? That idea came to my mind when you talked about the fact that as sellers more and more, they need to understand how to play across all of these channels. So social and webinars and in-person and all this sort of thing. Do you feel that most BDRs, and this may be more applicable to an AE, but I'm curious, do they have a playbook or are they getting coaching on how to have conversations across platforms? Because I feel like that is, in my mind, really the difference between an average frontline seller or BDR and an above average one is that you can have a cohesive conversation across multiple channels. I was curious on and, your perspective. Let me define. So multiple channels as in like they're having a conversation like through phone, email, LinkedIn. Is that what you mean there? Yes, but a cohesive conversation because where I find it challenging or where I find the opportunity is if you can communicate with me, well, there's two things that come to mind. You don't know which channel is my preferred. Like you're sending me yeah. communications across all channels, right? So there's one thing of like trying to figure out which one is my preferred channel, but there's another thing of being able to say like, you know, you're sending emails like, hey, you know, I reached out to you on LinkedIn and we talked about this. I don't know if you saw that post, but I wanted to follow up and get like that to me is a stitched together conversation across platforms. Mm -hmm. Maybe that is not top of mind for sellers, but I was just curious because I feel like to me, when you start to think about the being buyer centric. Yeah. To me, it makes more sense to be able to communicate across multiple channels and really have a cohesive conversation. Yeah. So. I'm going to give two examples of like potentially of that that can answer it, but let me just answer. Okay. Let me answer the question straight on first. So no, that isn't talked about enough. And again, and I'm not throwing leadership under the bus here, it, but it comes down to like coaching on that, showing people okay. examples of like how to have conversations on LinkedIn, through email, etc. That just isn't talked about enough of like how to actually do that. Most people, you're just taught your value prop, the call to action to get a meeting. Versus like, mm -hmm. what should you actually be doing? So I'll give like two examples of like how to streamline conversations. So for example, like I'll do a, or even coach on for clients, I'll do like a call. And then that call is, a it has, let's say they don't pick up like a cold call. And then I'll do yeah. a voicemail to the email and I'll say, Hey, the reason for my voicemail, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to send you an email about this in more detail in the next like five minutes. So the follow-up is an email and then the email talks about what I was going to say or what I said in the voicemail. That is an example yeah. of like continuous conversation across two channels. Like another example would be is if I sent a video or I sent a, yeah, I sent a video on LinkedIn, right? And maybe I was referencing something that I had sent them in a voicemail, right? So like these are just different things that you can do to have the continuous conversation. But to the core of what you're saying, I don't think it's talked about enough of like, how do I start a conversation and be thoughtful and have the right business acumen? I think that is not yeah. taught enough at all. Okay. Yeah. Because you you triggered something to me. It's like, you know, back a while ago when I was in biz dev, 
I would do a similar tactic. And this is this is when higher level folks are still answering the phone or at least checking voicemail, which has become less and less. But leaving that voicemail and saying like, you know, I'm going to follow up with the email, et cetera. And then it's in the email right after us where it's, you know, w- wasn't able to get you today. You know, I'm not sure if you'll listen to your voicemail, but here is basically what I was talking about to your point. Because like, I'm trying to figure out, do you check voicemail? Is it best to call you? Will you respond to this email? If you get that voicemail and you hear me and then see an email too, you're like, oh, I, that this is this Jeff guy calling from whatever, like there's multiple touch points, which will be like, oh, okay, I've seen multiple things come from him. Let me actually look at one of these and see if I want to talk to exactly. him versus trying the same channel over and over again. You just become white noise. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to transition a little bit and I'll talk about a topic that is becoming more visible and it's the B2B influencer. Our B2C counterparts have had this for years, obviously, Instagram yep. and TikTok. I think there's been a, a huge resistance to have this kind of show up in the B2B space. But I wanted to get your opinion on kind of what have you seen? Do you think this is good for the B2B space? Like, where's your head at when we think about B2B influencers? And what does it mean to B2B? Because I, I don't know if it's going to be the same thing. Is it going to be something different? Like, I just, I thought you would have a pulse on this. Yeah, so I've been doing it a component of B2B influencer marketing without even realizing it in a lot of different ways. And now that I've been truly been wrapped around it, this is where I think it's going to go. This is the different levels of influencers that you may not even be thinking about. And let's talk about what influence actually means. Because I think people just throw that around and it doesn't really mean a whole lot or they don't know what even they're even saying. Right. So the first part is I don't think there's going to be true adoption of B2B influencer marketing until eight to 10 years. Okay. So, and everyone's like, oh, it's on the way. It is, but you also have to notice who's doing it, right? You see it big in like rev tech, but okay, yeah, that's marketers and salespeople live on LinkedIn. So a lot of people are getting content creators around that platform to then, you know, create that narrative. I think HR will probably be behind that. Then you'll get to cybersecurity, IT, et cetera. Now there's obviously other examples out there that I may not be aware of as I'm continuously doing research and figuring things out. But I think as a like standard thing where like people are bringing in, and this is what I mean, B2B influencers as like their main way to get resources and also as people that they bring in internally, I think widely accepted, I think like eight to 10 years where there's a legitimate system. Could it come sooner? I'm more than happy if it came sooner. I'm just saying across (laughs) the board where it's like IBM is like running these programs, right? Like that's what I mean. Like big companies, organizations decide this is what we're going to do. And it's a commonplace strategy, right? Across the board, eight to 10 years. I will say though, within our bubble, right? The tech space as a whole, B two B, I give it two to three years. Where it's like it's a it's, yeah, it'll be it'll be yeah, ahead. It's a thing of most. But people. I'm talking about holistically B two B because some people when they think B two B, they only think oh tech. It's like there's more than just tech and B two B. There is a yeah. lot of industries outside <laughs> yeah, right. of tech. There's I'd say eight to ten years, right? Because you got to think about all those all the workings of traditional ways of how they go about it. Like some people get excited when they get you know. A couple downloads on an ebook still right you, we get we, we yeah. tech we get a little bit far ahead so tech two to three years i say rev tech martech it's happening right now like don't blink because it's happening right so that's yeah. the way that i would go into that but do you have a question i'm gonna go in the next part but do you have a question oh uh, no keep going okay I, you're, I you're gonna face it if you want to say something okay <laughs> no, no 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 i want i want to keep the flow going okay, i want to okay. keep the flow going so that's like extreme macro now Let's go down into the three different types of influencers. Now, the first type of influencer is someone you've already seen already. The main platform for B2B influencer marketing is LinkedIn. Now, is LinkedIn doing the best job right now? Like, they're not. They need to do a better job to update it for the creator. The UI needs to get better. They need to fix their messaging. They need to have better analytics, right? There's a lot of things they need to do, but, you know, I hope that they do that. But they are the main platform right now. No one can say that otherwise. I think YouTube could come around. So I would say be mindful of that. I'm getting deep into YouTube myself. I think they're going to make a play to push on the B2B side. But until now, it's LinkedIn. With okay. all that being said, B2B influencer, you see them post on LinkedIn, creating consistently, right? So that's why I mentioned LinkedIn because that's what you're seeing right now. Then it stops there. Then they're like, okay, that's an influencer. And it's like, no, there's more. So the second one is your own employee. Your own employee could be an influencer. So I'll mention tech because they did a good example. So Gong, Sarah Brazier, Devin Reed, Chris Orlob, they all played a huge part to amplify that brand. Udi, Udi, the CMO as well. But now it's different. They don't have those people in the same positions or again, they have left. 
So, but they they don't have that. They, they are a prime example of what that could look like. Now you're starting to see other companies do it. Lavender, Clary are, are, are a couple to name a few there. Dooley did it in the past. They're bringing in people that are creators already, or they're amplifying people that are already employees to be content creators, to be advocate and a voice of the brand. And you want that because ultimately as a brand, they're going to speak on your behalf because they're in the ecosystem. If you bring me in to talk about your brand, like I just don't have the same emotional attachment. I just don't, right? I don't work there. Yeah. I'm not in the meetings. I'm just getting, I like the product maybe, but like I'm not in it. That's why you have to amplify your employees. Now, the third one is something that people are not talking about in B2B, but you have to think about this has already been done in B2C. And this is a newer epiphany for me. The customer is an influencer. Mm. Think about that. Customer marketing. Customer marketing. But also when you think about B2C, isn't the B2C influencer a customer of the product? It's almost always. Right. So why in B2B do we say, oh yeah, that's no, it's like, no, bring them in, right? And also you got to think about it. Like me as an influencer, my I have a large audience, but my percentage of my audience isn't as probably as much as an executives and decision makers as a buyer is, right? A yeah. C-level executive that's speaking to their peers all day long. I may not have that same pull or reputation that they, they have. I may not. Yeah. Your customer does, and they're using your product. Why would you not elevate them as an influencer? Now, there's ways to do that, right? You can put them on podcasts. You can get them to do a testimonial. Please don't get, I mean, you could do this, but I'm not saying go put them in front of the white screen in the chair and say, hey, my name is Morgan. And uh, this is what we were like. Everyone does that. That's we had a great experience using your yeah, software. Like, like, this is our problem. Like, hell, that gunpoint. <laughs> and you came in and you made it all all right. Yeah. I recommend you go use this product. And it's the same music. We've all seen those and videos. It's the same music every time. It's like, <laughs> and it's like, all right, it, yeah. same music, same script. Like you're not fooling anyone. All right, and I'm not roasting y'all. I'm yeah. just trying to give y'all a perspective. So the thing is, no one is paying attention to those for the most part. So why well, don't do that? Do it in a unique and creative way. Create a campaign. Yeah put something around it. And I'm saying all this because this is what I'm doing right now with my clients. I'm saying, hey, customers, let's get them involved. Let's get them on podcasts. Let's get them in other places. Let's get their voice out there. Name it something. And now you have your community, which is your customers, turn into advocates. And I want to break this down yeah. because not Elon Musk, but this guy named Alon, or Alon, I think I say his name. We were talking and he's a fractional CMO and he gave me this and I want to give him credit. And it changed my entire mindset around this because he was like, when you think about social, there's three things that hap- that's happening with content. You have an audience, you have a community, and you have advocates. Okay. Your audience is, hey, on LinkedIn, I have 150,000 followers, right? Yep. That's an audience that is not a community. They have not been bought in. All those people are not bought into whatever I'm saying. They follow me, but they may not be bought in. The next stage of that is I want to get them in the community. What is a community? That's a newsletter, right? That could be a Slack group, mm-hmm. a Discord, a Telegram. It could be a live show, depending on how you do it. Patreon, et cetera. Uh, Anthony Kennedy is building a, a product right now called Audience Pulse. And he's calling this like around own media. So community is own media. And then you have advocates. Okay. And advocates essentially amplify your message. This is where a customer likes what you have to offer. They understand your mission and they advocate on your behalf instead of you yelling on your behalf. So that influencer, right, is a customer, but you have to use it in the right way. So it's so it's interesting because the idea of the B2B influencer isn't necessarily new. No. You know, we've all had people in the industry that people respect. We've all had customers do case studies. Like this isn't necessarily a new concept. We've kind of rebranded it or named mm. it. I think the difference is the execution of it. And where are you putting it? How do you deliver it? So when we say execution, instead of, to your point, doing the white screen and talking about like, oh, I love this product and it was amazing and it helped us 27% lift and whatever. It's about really thinking of yourself as a media company yes, and finding ways in which to package these things that are authentic and will feel natural for your target buyers. And I think this is where companies are struggling because they are doing the old like case study. They're doing maybe doing a webinar, but it, it is all kind of canned B2B delivery. Yes. And so the companies that I think will be able to break out will recognize that we are doing this in a way, but there's a new way of doing it. And I think there is a lack of really showing up for customers. I think tech tends to do a better job at customer marketing, that sort of thing, because it's a focus. But I think other industries, to your point, having 
customers on podcasts, having customers on stage, like you can do more of that or having them on social, but it needs to be thought out. And most customers are not going to say no, because you're giving them visibility. You're making them look good. They're the hero. So yeah, I think it's a, again, I don't think it's a revolutionary idea Mm -hmm. having influencers B2B, but I think to your point, it's going to take us some time to be able to execute in the way that B2C does it. And it won't be exact, but in a way that actually is scalable. So I want to double down what you said. I had a conversation with uh, Mark. He's the CMO at Airmeet, and he's been talking about how everything needs to be people first. So, and this will lead into what I, the third point I talked about, which is like, what is influence? So I just, I'm doing this for yep. y'all. So like, we're not butchering this at all. I Googled influence definition. All right. Straight from Webster. Okay. All right. Not Urban Dictionary. Webster I, yeah, Miriam. Yeah. I didn't make this up. <laughs> I'm not like, oh, here's my theory. I'm going to give you the definition, right? Because I think sometimes in our world, we just in society, people are like, Here's this word, and we just make up definitions. It's like, we have the dictionary for a reason. Let's look up what it means, and then let's figure out how it's applied to our life. All right, so here's influence, right? Yeah. The capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something or the effect itself. So what does that mean for us? I want to point out something. The capacity to have an effect on the character. Now, if you think of a TV show, there are characters, right? Characters are there to evoke Mm -hmm. emotion on someone over the development that they have. So I want to come back to a point that you said. So what does influence mean? Influence is to change someone's mindset or behavior around something, around an idea that they have, right? This is basically what that definition says. So I'm taking notes as we're talking, and you mentioned people need to think more media. Let's start there. And they need to change about they need to change their execution. So yes, I would say, and this is key, because I was talking to some of the DMs about this and they're like, I don't think every company should be media. I was like, that's not what I'm saying. The large majority of companies need to be thinking about media. Not all. There's some industries where like that doesn't make sense, but the exception doesn't make where the world is going and what the rule is. Most companies need to go media, full stop. Don't care if you don't like it. Period. Don't care if you're like, I don't really care, Morgan. It just is what it It is. It is what it is. Like, Don't get married to how you used to do something. You got to get married to where the world is going in the process. Look, I used to do Periscope. I loved it. It's not around anymore. I'm going to complain about it, right? LinkedIn used to promote videos all the time. They don't as much anymore. I don't cry about it. I just adjust where things are going. So I'm saying all this is in, there's a difference though between media and content. There's a difference. Okay. And so most people are like, wait, Morgan, there there isn't a difference. Actually, there is. Content- Break it down. Is just whatever. It's noise. Media is personality and orchestration behind the content. Interesting. Okay. Think about it. Hey, let's go create content and ebooks of content, right? Yeah. Me saying, "Hey, I'm I'm feeling good today." That's that's content. Me doing a long getting something from ChatGPT, copying pasted on that's content. But just because it's content doesn't mean it's good. Media has personality orchestration, which makes it better content. Your content within media is going to be better than content that's just standalone. Yeah. So to your point, it really is about this. This is actually a really great conversation. I hadn't thought about it in this way. Media brings in the brand, yeah. brings in a familiarity. Like people, if, you, if you're showing up every Tuesday or whatever, it, it becomes a cadence in which I expect mm-hmm. and, and then I become a part of your community because mm-hmm. I'm bought in. So people can buy in and you tell me if you agree with this. People can buy in and you can build a community on media, but you can't build a community around content. Because it's standalone. It's standalone. There's things you could, but will they be as invested? And will they turn into eventual advocates? They most likely will not. Okay. Okay. You can't actually activate them only with content, but you can activate somebody with media. Exactly. So let's say like Star Wars may be a good example here. So let's just say if like the movies never came out, but it was like, here's some lightsabers. Here's people fighting in space. But it didn't have like any orchestration. It was just like, oh yeah, we just have some lightsabers, people fighting, and then there's just like some some aircraft stuff. You're like, this is cool content, yeah. but where is it? Where is it going? There's no. Story. I have no story. I have no feeling around this. It's just like, hey, there's lightsaber world, like cool, but it's different when it's like, yo, this is Star Wars. I'm like, yeah. oh shoot, right? So I'll go back to like a real example. So SCR Chronicles, SCR Chronicles was a media play. Didn't know it back then, but I look back and it's like that was a media play. But if I created content that was just like SDR tactical content, people would have been like, oh, wait, Morgan's cool for sales development. But when I created the SDR Chronicles, it's like the SDR Chronicles is where you need to go. That created a community which created advocates. See, I could always get the community with the content because like, oh, that that guy's good for sales development. That's fine. 
But would I have real yeah. advocates? Probably not. But when you could say, yo, this answer, that was fire, it's more of an advocate. Yeah. This is a really fascinating conversation because I think it's important, especially when you look at industries outside of tech. So I'm thinking like, you know, industrial products and manufacturing and logistics, you know, these what I would call legacy mm. industries. I definitely, when I was, you know, had my own consultancy and that sort of thing, saw more engagement when I started the podcast. Mm. So I was obviously pushing out content to your point, And that is why I think it's such a great conversation on LinkedIn. I had followers, people were quote unquote listening, but it wasn't until I, I believe I started my initial podcast was just the alignment podcast.com. Just throwing that out there as the <laughs> other podcast. Uh, but of course we want you to tune into this one. I think that's when I really saw engagement and started getting speaking gigs and people asking me like, you know, Oh, can you come do this? Can you do this? Are you going to write a book? Because I had, and to your point, I didn't think about it this mm. way, but I was creating media because I had a consistent show. It had a very focused theme. Exactly. I was very particular about who it was for. It was not for everybody. It was a very niche topic, only about sales and marketing mm. alignment. I wasn't talking about marketing tech. I was talking about AI. I wasn't talking about you know BDRs. It was, if you have a problem with sales and marketing alignment in your organization, we're going to have conversations so, so we can figure it exactly. out. So I say all that to say, this is a really, really important thing that I hadn't thought about until you brought up about the difference between those. Because I would argue, and you tell me what you think, if B2B organizations are are bought in to kind of this influencer marketing mm. or just dealing with influencers, or in general, it's all focused on just content. Yes. How do we get content into the marketplace? They're not thinking, how do we develop media to then create a community, as you say? And then what was the last one? The last one was to then develop advocates. Yeah. That's it. That's a very different path. Completely different path. And the execution where most people are stuck on is the white background screen, the same track. First of all, whoever has this track, they're making a lot of money, by the way. The, the royalties on this track is fine. You already know what it is. They are raining it in. I got to say this. So when I was looking through the uh, soundtrack for the podcast, right? And so I, I had a very particular idea in my mind. And every time I would hear that track or anything related to, because it is a very specific know sound. What it is. I was just, oh, it's like, I'm just like, I was like, it sounds like every like corporate <laughs> like event or whatever. And then there's, but there's another, and I don't know how to describe this, but and I don't know how, why I was going to tangent, but there's another sound that is like the big conference. Like there's another oh. soundtrack that they they all sound the same. Every, unless it's like they are really being particular to like stand out and do like, you know, like normal music. Like when you come in, you're like, I'm at a conference. Yep. There's a certain music and sound. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like, boo, da, 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 or it's something. I don't thing. know. But you I know do. what I'm talking That's about. That's why I'm laughing. It's like, yes. it's the same thing. It's like, da, 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 da. it's like, oh, here we go again. Like at the circus <laughs> event again, they're like, haven't changed right. the soundtrack. So, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm tuning Yeah, out. exactly. And, but to get back to the point, y'all, what I'm saying is most people aren't thinking how to execute in a modern social world. And it's leaving to, I don't want to learn that. Y'all, to be very transparent with y'all, do I want to learn short-form video right now? Really, I don't, right? I'd rather stick to long-form because that's what I've always played in. I don't want to know how to yeah. make a video in less than 45 seconds and talk super fast and figure out the captions and maybe I got to dance. I mean, I'm not saying I'm dancing, but like the thing is like, these are things that are happening. So most people are like, I don't want to learn that, but it's like, it's costing you building a community. It's costing you yep. getting advocates and it's costing you market share and attention in your industry. Period. It is. And so the last point that I want to make here that I have written down as well yeah. is that most people, when they're doing their execution, they're not thinking personal. You have to amplify your personal or your personal brands that you, whatever you or, or, or a personal brand you want to be amplified in your organization. You have to do it because your company page, especially on LinkedIn, is not going to get as much traction and engagement. It's super rare that it does. There's workarounds, but at the same time, it's not going to happen. So you have to find someone yeah. If it's a CEO, great, or an executive to amplify. And then if you can get other people, that's great. But you have to do that. And the blueprint has been shown. Two last things before we close out that I, I want to talk about. 
uh, one, I want to talk about Deep Social. And then the second one, I, I want to learn more about what you're doing now with organizations because I think your approach is actually really mm-hmm. cool. And I think people would be interested in it, especially based on what we just talked about. So the Deep Social part, because you made me think about this as you talked about kind of community and advocates, that sort of thing. Deep Social really is all of these kind of communities that are either invite only or, or people are having these kind of offline conversations that we don't have access to, right? Like Deep Social is like what we're calling it. But at the end of the day, these are communities groups, conversations that most organizations don't have access to. I think in addition to what you said, the other cost of you not switching the way up in which you deliver this content media is that you're not going to get in the room. You're not going to be mentioned if you don't have something for people to talk about in those spaces. I wanted to see kind of, do you also agree with that? What are you seeing from a from a deep social standpoint when it comes to B2B? Because I don't think I'm hearing about this outside of tech. That's a really great point. So, and deep social is new to me. I typically have heard like dark social, but deep. So I'm sorry, that's what I meant. I, I meant. Oh, dark, I was like, deep. I thought deep social was it's a def- new. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> well, now it's deep dark social. <laughs> Jeff Davis just created. Well, I mean, it. That's the marker well, to me. I just create. Well, think stuff. about it. Deep social could be for like communities because you are getting deeper with that person right? In a community versus an audience. So deep social it's does true. actually play. So you should run with it. Because I thought you were trading a new okay. term there. Trademarked. Yeah. <laughs> Trademarked. Deep social, <laughs> then it goes to dark social. But to answer your question, so I was talking to two people yesterday and we were talking about why it's important to build that brand awareness and put yourself out there. Because if other executives and directors or whatever see your product, let's say they're at a CMO mind share cup form, form whatever dinner, eight whatever. people mentioned the brand i'm gonna be like uh what okay maybe i should go check that out <laughs> right? like, and you're not in the room yeah. because they're not inviting vendors exactly exactly so i think that's the other cost to your point of and that is happening more and more so i think it's in reaction to from what i've seen covid we had this explosion in digital people got overwhelmed they were over it and so really people started to gravitate toward, you know, as we slowly kind of go back to in-person, there's still these, and they're both online and offline, smaller, intimate, curated experiences that people say, look, I don't want to go, especially at, at the level of a CMO or, or executive, I don't want to go to this thing with like all these people and I have to network and then da, da, da. I want to get to the answers I need to get to with other people that are smart and that are going through the same thing. And we are seeing more and more of these pop up, but- they are not inviting vendors. So you have these conversations going on that you have. And the reason that it's called dark social is that it is dark. It's happening. Yeah. Like you were being talked about. Now, are you able to directly influence that? No, but you're going to have to have up something in order for people to have something to talk about, about you when they're in these forums. So that you maybe think about the other cost to not doing it in the, in a modern way is that you, your brand is just not going to be talked about in these intimate settings, which are with these high-level decision makers. exactly. So last thing before we close out, because I know people are like, you guys have been talking forever. (laughs) Um, What are you working on now? Because I think it's related to helping organizations, B2B organizations kind of change the way they approach content and media. And I want folks to be able to be aware of what you're doing just in case it's something that um, they're struggling with. Yeah, so you know, at the end of the day, we're seeing, it's always been about let's obviously help the sales team get revenue from a marketing standpoint. We are starting to see more marketers be like, we are revenue marketers versus having a ton of lead gen from the understanding of conversations I've had. So what I'm working with clients on is to amplify their marketing efforts through video, whether it's long form, short form videos, and also video series like a YouTube show or a webinar series. That allows to have emotional connectivity with your audience, and it allows you to amplify your own brand with your employees and customers being included in these series in these short-form videos. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, leads to social lift, community expansion, right, brand awareness. And by doing that, you're going to have more of that connection because right now we're living in a world where ChatGPT, OpenAI, anyone could write any written content. And I'm not saying get rid of the blogs. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that your long form videos, your short form videos can turn into more content and you have the benefit of people seeing the emotional connection that you have with your own brand and they'll connect with you because you're amplifying those voices. So that's what I'm working on right now. Love it. And if people want to follow up with you, learn more about you, get in contact with you, what is the best way to find you online? LinkedIn, uh, Morgan J. Ingram, um, and it's Morgan J. Ingram across all other socials as well. If you uh, have any questions or want to hit me up. 
Awesome. Love it. Well, Morgan J. Ingram, I appreciate you taking the time. I, I, I really got exactly what I was looking for. It's just a really informed perspective on how as revenue leaders, we can help sales reps, SDRs, BDRs, whatever industry you're in, do things differently, do things better, and really transition the way in which we're trying to reach out to the modern buyer because uh, things have changed a lot. And I think that you know, in order for us to be successful in the new world of B2B selling, we're going to have to empower these these folks with new tools and, and new ways of doing things. So I uh, appreciate you being on the show and we'll be looking at uh, what you do next. All right, man. Appreciate you. All right. Take it easy. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rev Engine Podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.